to the untold hour. I'm your host, your only host this week, Andrew Bowser. Welcome to the show. Jess is back out of town, back doing crazy things with who knows what, going to who knows where, talking all sorts of ghosts and cryptids and UFOs and whatnot. But Chibois Bowser is here holding down the fort. And in today's episode... We have a guest, an old friend of mine and Jess's from the Nerdist days, a writer and performer named Aliza Pearl. We're going to talk to Aliza about a new improv show that she's launching over Twitch called Slay, which has a monster hunting theme. So I'm really excited to talk to Aliza. But before we bring her on, it's time for Bowser's Backyard and Weird of the Week. Weird of the Week. Now... I got to take a breath before I get into Bowser's backyard because I have been through a journey with this cat. Um, I, I feel like it would be redundant if I explained too much about the situation because I've talked about it intermittently over many episodes and on my YouTube channel and a lot during my Kickstarter campaign. But I rescued um, a stray uh, a month and a half ago, probably at this point. He showed up at our house looking for food. He was not a street cat. He was not born wild. He was a pet that had gotten out, I promise you, because he was super, super clean and uh, didn't know how to survive on the streets. You know, showed up like, meow, 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 just needing food, needing to be tended to. So uh, working with a rescue, I got a trap, and I trapped him so that we could get him his shots, so that we could see if he was chipped, so that we could uh, get him neutered if he wasn't neutered. One night before I trapped him, uh, he uh, got into a cat fight down the street with, like, three roughnecks. I'm talking, like, these cats that he got into a fight with looked like uh, Heathcliff's crew, as I Google Heathcliff's crew to make sure what's in my head is what they were like. Yeah, exactly. Exactly this. A big beefy one, a scraggly tan one. Oh my gosh. If there were a female cat with leg warmers, it would have exactly been Heathcliff's crew. So this cat has been through a lot. Now I finally trapped him and that trapping alone was its own journey because it took many tries. He would show up looking for food. He would get close to the trap, but he would never go through with it, walk into the trap and eat, eat the food, therefore releasing the trap door behind him. But finally, and ironically, we caught him the same night we were watching the new Tom and Jerry movie. So as a cat and mouse are fighting on screen, I hear a cat screaming in my driveway. My cat Puck runs to the window and looks outside like, Dad, what the fuck? Sure enough, I got him. Now, I brought him in. At first, he lived in my bathroom for a few days while we waited for the vet appointment because the vet couldn't see him for like five days. The cat wasn't happy. The cat was freaked out, bopping around the room uh, like the Tasmanian devil. And he eventually just got up inside of our cabinet drawer in the bathroom, and that was his spot. And he would come out to eat and use his litter box, and then he'd go back into the drawer. 
I would practice going in there, opening the drawer, and just make an eye contact. My my rescue person said, just slowly start to spend time in the bathroom with him, make eye contact, make him let him see that you're the one feeding him, but don't push it, don't push it. So that's all I would do. I'd, I'd go in there late night, crack open the drawer, he'd give me a little, but then he would let me sit there, talk to him, and eventually we got to the point where we were making eye contact, and and he was not hissing at me. And then we got to the point where I could come in, feed him, open that drawer, talk to him, leave, and he never hissed at me. So it felt like I was cracking through the shell. By the time we took him to the vet, the vet said, I agree, I think this is a house cat that was either abandoned or got out. Maybe it was uh, what they're calling COVID cats. People that have passed away from COVID, their family shows up to take care of their belongings, and there's a cat there, and the family's like, well, just let the fucking cat out. I don't fucking know. So there's just cats roaming the streets from people that have passed away during the pandemic. So maybe he's a COVID cat. I don't know. I posted about it on nextdoor.com. I put physical flyers up in my neighborhood. No responses. The vet said he was already neutered. No chip. My rescue person said, take him home, and if you're down, try to rehab him. He's probably not fully feral. He was rather docile when he was at the vet. Yeah, I like how I told you it would be redundant if, I, if I'd if i said the story. And now I'm officially just giving you the full story. Because I don't know if I have ever in one place given the full story of the cat now known as Grammy Boy. Okay? So the rescue person said, if you're down to rehab him, I'll walk you through it. We're going to get you a big old Great Dane crate for a cat. It's like a relocation crate. You can put him in your garage where you work. And after you feed him in the crate for a while, then you start opening the door to the crate. You feed him outside of the crate. And then, next thing you know, you're trying to give him treats. Maybe you wear a cat glove, which is like a scratch-proof glove, and you start letting him get those treats out of your hand. Next thing you know, you're petting the cat. It might take some time, but maybe in a month or two, you can kind of de-feralize that cat if he is not full feral. If he is just a house cat who's gone a little wild because he lived on the street for a month, okay? So... All behavior points toward him being not fully feral. Um, So I start that process. He's living in my garage. He's in the crate. Two weeks into that, I, I decide it's time to do open the crate, feed him outside of the crate. Now, I have built a set in my garage for Onyx videos. So there is a false wall in front of my actual garage back wall. That is a plywood, a, fr- a, a, a two by fours making a frame, and then two panels of plywood, and then wood paneling like an old 80s basement. There is a space behind the onyx set wall and the actual stone or concrete garage wall. It is the perfect space for an alley cat. I mean, it is an alley for a cat, okay? And he can't go anywhere. You can go behind the wall and you can come out. That's it. Um, I blocked it, though. I knew he'd go back there. I blocked it. I blocked it. I blocked it. I swear to God in heaven, I blocked it. The first night he comes out of his crate to eat, it goes well. He looks up at me. I'm like, hey, dude, I'm in your space. You're in my space. But he eats. He eats maybe five feet from me. And I look over and I'm like, I got you, dude. It's all good. We're not getting wild. We're just chilling. And he was like, I get it. We're chilling. We're chilly boys. And he eats. And then he casually goes back into his crate and cuddles up in his little bed. And I was like, great. If we do this for another week, we're on our road to the next week being feeding him treats out of a cat-gloved hand, right? That night, I swear to God, I walked out of the garage for maybe 15 minutes. He gets behind the wall. He gets behind the wall. 
And now he has been in that wall for weeks. Now, before you freak out, he is not stuck behind the wall. He goes behind the wall, sits down or lays down. And then when I feed him, he comes out and he eats and he goes doo-doo in the litter box and he goes back behind the wall. Let that be made clear. This cat is not stuck behind the wall. The cat is safe. The cat is happy. The cat actually likes this rhythm, likes being behind the wall and only coming out to eat and doo-doo. He feels safe. It was a step backward in my eyes because we were making progress with me eating in the same space as him. Now he's calling the shots. He's behind the wall. And when he wants to come out to eat, he meows until I put food down and leave. How do I know all this? I have set up cameras. I have filmed this cat coming and going. And also, when I'm not in the room, he comes out, fucking walks around, gets the zoomies late at night, runs around, scratches up my carpet, lays on my couch, cleans himself. He's got the run of the garage like it's a little bachelor pad. And then he goes back into the wall when I come down in the morning. I mean, it's clockwork. If you followed me through the Kickstarter campaign, Gremmy Boy became, I started calling him Gremmy Boy because I was calling him Gremlin and Hellraiser and, and then Gremlin became Gremmy and then Gremmy Boy uh, because, you know, he's kind of like a little gremlin. He's still, if you get close to him, he hisses and he scratches. Reminds me of the gremlin that's loose in the science teacher's classroom in the first Gremlins. So he lived in the wall for the run of the Kickstarter and he'd come out to eat. He was on my live streams. People would wait for Gremmy Boy. They'd be like, where's Gremmy Boy? There he is. I'd be upstairs letting him eat while my, my YouTube followers were watching him eat. Yes, they even watched him shit at one point. It wasn't my intent, but he decided to take a shit immediately after eating, and that wound up on the live stream. Gremmy Boy is a superstar, but Gremmy Boy has been in the wall for too long. So, my God, this is going to be a 35-minute long story, but that's okay. It came time to get him out of the wall. How, how are we going to do that? Okay, how are we going to do that? I built a panel that drops and covers the hole that he uses to access the alley. That panel is on strings and it goes up to the ceiling and it goes down behind my wardrobe rack where I can hide holding the two strings on little handles that I built that control the panel. Okay? I'm telling you, it worked like clockwork. I Kevin McAllistered that shit. It was a true... Acme Looney Tunes trap, and it worked. I had my wife leave the garage like she was me. I put down food and said, all right, Grammy boy, time for dinner. And then I crouched on the couch, hiding behind the wardrobe rack while my wife closed the garage door because he knows all the sounds of the jingle jangle. I have a skeleton door chime on my garage door. He knows the sound of the padlock. And then, I mean, within a minute, he pops out. And he jumps down, and he starts eating, and pew, I drop the strings. The panel slides in perfectly, perfectly covering his access spot. And then I stand up, and I say, Grummy boy, don't be mad at me. And immediately, he's like, what the fuck? What the fuck? He's freaked out. I'm like, don't be mad at me. I'm going to help you. I just needed you to get out of the wall. The rescue lady said, you got it. We got to get you back into that eating in the same space as me, having your crate as your safe spot, but not being behind the wall. And he was like, motherfucker, I'm going back in the wall, bye. And he jumps up toward the wall, but the panel's there. So he just scratches at it and then falls back down. And then he runs and he hides on my shelves. And I was like, that's fine. 
You can stay on the shelves. You can stay out in the garage. This can be a spot for party boys. We are party boys. Let's take this spot as our own. And I sealed up the panel, the drop panel. Nail, 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 nail. Cack, 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 cack. Nail gun. Cack, 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 cack. But one side of it, there was nothing behind it that could be nailed. And now we might be at the at the point in the story that I have already talked about on this podcast, but I'm barreling through the entire thing so that the saga of Grummy Boy is collected in one place for future generations, okay? It's archived. So one side of the panel couldn't really be nailed into anything. There wasn't anything directly behind it. It's the alleyway behind it. But I taped it, dude. I, I put so much paper tape, yes, God forgive me, up and down that side. And I thought, well, I mean, this cat's not, you know... Uh, whatever, Danny Ocean, okay? This cat's not Danny Ocean. And besides, I'm going to stay in the garage. I'm down there with him. I'm going to see him if he tries to get back in the wall. But, of course, I had to leave to go eat some lunch. And I thought, 10 minutes, up and back. Within 10 minutes, he had torn the tape off that panel and slid his little cat body down back behind the wall. Now, big fuck up on my part. Not securing that panel, rookie move. Botch. Hard botch, I don't deny it. This week, we are getting construction done on the front of our house. The entire front yard has been pulled up, concrete broken up, including concrete in the garage, so there is now a hole to a, for a cat to easily run out of the garage. There is now no way I can go to sleep without getting Grammy Boy out of the wall and into a crate. Because he'll go to get out in the middle of the night and leave the garage. And, you know, I'll see him hit on the road the next day or taken by a coyote, and I will have failed as someone that's trying to rehab this creature. So what do I do? For a week, I set my trap again. I had somebody leave the garage, make the sounds that I would make, and I waited. And he never came out of the wall. He is such a smart motherfucker. He's Bugs Bunny up in this shit. He won't fall for any of my tricks anymore. He'll leave when I leave. I leave to go upstairs. Motherfucker comes out, eats his food, takes his shit, just as he always has, and then back into the wall. I don't know if he's sensing that I'm in the room. I don't know if, by the way, I have a camera set up. Uh, on the hole that he crawls through and then I have, and that's on a Zoom call and then I have my phone on the same Zoom call over by the couch so I'm monitoring. That's how I know when he's exited the hole. That's how I knew when to drop the panel. It's a very high-tech operation. So the bottom line is I tried five more times. I probably, it probably amounted to three hours of waiting at that portal and no cat emerged. Uh, I eventually thought, well, okay, I'll just leave the actual cat trap out in the garage and put his food in it. And guess what? Motherfucker never went in the trap. He came out. I, I have footage of this. He comes out. He looks at the trap. He goes to the back of the trap from the outside, smells the food, investigates the trap and says, fuck off. And then just jumps back inside the wall. The dude is so smart, he would truly, truly fit in with Heathcliff's crew. Um, so, this brings us to yesterday. That was the day the garage floor was going to get a little torn up by the construction. There'd be a hole overnight. I had to get him out of the wall. So what did I do? I had to tear the wall of my Onyx set down. 
I had to pry the wood paneling off. I had to then pry the plywood off. I had to unscrew many, many screws that were in the plywood and then crank those panels open and just look at Grammy Boy sitting there. He looked up at me like, seriously, dude, this is what it's come to? Are you fucking for real? You're taking apart my house? And I was like, dude, you can't, ex- you can't exist this way. You can't live in the wall forever. And I had my cat gloves on, and I put on a long sleeve shirt and a leather jacket, and I reached out. I watched all these videos on how to scruff a feral cat. Yeah, fucking right. I reached out. He hissed. He went a little wild, but I was able to get my hands on him and move him into the crate. Luckily, we had the crate right there. And he went into the crate, and he looked up at me, and he was like, this is how we're doing it. I'm back in the crate. And I said, for your own good. For your own good, dude. And I know it's starting to sound like I'm Patricia Arquette from The Act. But that's not what's happening. I I said I was going to rehab this cat. I'm trying to do the best I, I, I can for him. And it's just not going as planned. Now, I'm going to do another week of the crate. Get us used to each other again. And then I'm going to basically... Go back to where I was three, four weeks ago, letting him out of the crate, feeding him outside of the crate. When I do that, I will have blocked off the wall for real this time, rehung all the plywood and wood paneling. I will Grammy boy proof the garage. Um, but that's the next step for anyone that wants. I mean, I don't know. There can't be a bigger Bowser's backyard update. This is this is the godfather of Bowser's backyard experiences. The saga of Grammy Boy, the fact that he lived through the Kickstarter and became what he became during that, and the fact that I, I poetically uh, had to, I don't know if it's poetic, I don't know what the fuck it is, but I had to destroy the Onyx set to get him out. It's wild. It's wild. Uh, I'm going to try for a few more weeks, and then I'm going to talk to the rescue and, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the vet's wrong. Maybe he's fully feral. Maybe he's not going to uh, rehab. Maybe he needs to be taken to a cool farm to run around on. And I'm looking into that. I've got a few friends that take rescue cats to their, you know, farms in like Central Cali and stuff. Um, but I'm not giving up on Grammy Boy. I'm telling you, he was not a street cat. That That just wasn't the life for him. I know I sound like a crazy cat person, but you got to believe me. Um, and you know, he's back to, he's using his litter box in his crate. He's eating his food. He's like, okay, cool. I guess we're back to the crate. Fuck you, dude. Uh, we'll see where, where we go next with the saga of Grammy boy. I was going to do weird of the week, but there's no point. I just talked about Grammy boy for 20 minutes. Um, let's get into our interview with Aliza Pearl. She's going to tell us about a new monster hunting themed improv show. She's launching on Twitch called Slay. Well, I'm super excited to have a very special guest on the Untold Hour this week, Aliza Pearl. Thank you for being here. Thanks, Bowser. It's so good to see you. <laughs> it's good to see you, too. For For those that don't know, we used to work together at Nerdist. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, and I, there's, I mean, gosh, many memories of sketches that you wrote that we shot. And how many Comic-Cons did you do with us? Because I do remember one specific Comic-Con trip. 
Was that oh, yeah. the only one? That was, yeah, I think that was the only one that I officially did with Nerdist. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Or maybe, you know what? No, that's not true. The year before, I was on a panel, but I didn't, like, come down and do the trip with you all. I, I was just already going to gotcha. be there. And then the following yeah. year, I got to be on the bus. <laughs> yeah, be on the bus. The One year, this was before uh, you joined the company, I notoriously opted to not take the bus. I wanted to take my Vespa scooter all the way to San Diego. What? so So that I could have it there in the district because it was a lot easier to get around and a lot easier to find parking. Um, and I rode, I actually rode my Vespa multiple years to Comic-Con. But one year, yeah, but one year I didn't put any sunscreen on my arms and I had a, <laughs> a t-shirt a, a on. My arms and hands were bright red, the color of my bandana. And it's oh all God. anyone talked about the entire time. I was making fun of my crab arms. Okay, I was gonna say lobster arms, but well, lobster arms, crab arms. <laughs> Either way, yes, I was. I was quite the joke that year. But the bus was always a really great like uh, mile marker for another year down at Nerdist. We're getting on the bus to Comic Con. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad that I got quite to experience, experience that, like as a staff member that last year. Yeah, yeah. Well, so tell people what you're going to be talking about or promoting tonight because it's a really interesting blend it's right up my alley it seems like you're working on something that's a blend of monster hunting with improv comedy correct yes exactly what is this show and it's something that's done over twitch uh-huh okay uh -huh, tell uh -huh. us about it okay well it's called slay and nice slay as an s-l-a-y and it is an improvised monster hunting monologue show that streams on Twitch. Uh, so I already have a question. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of questions because so, it's, it's a weird show and it's kind of a hybrid yeah. of a lot of different styles of show, too. So, ask well, so that's what I was going to ask. So improvised monologue show. Uh -huh. So what does that look like? What's the structure of that? Yeah, so basically uh, I'm taking kind of influence not just from like improv and monologues in theater but also from ttrpgs which yeah. if you think about it they're improv they're improv plus dice rolling really that's kind of like what uh ttrpgs are at their core yeah so we're kind of taking that structure of having like one person who's not quite a gm but more like a conductor of the monologues and helps like dip into each different character as they're telling helping to tell the story of this particular monster of the week okay that was actually going to be my next question is, is it monster of the week or is it like every, you know, you're telling a long tale over many, many weeks, but it's going to be kind of um, serialized. Is that the right? Uh, episodic. Or, or episodic. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I never know which one's which. Uh -huh. Episodic. Yes. Okay. And then we do have like regular cast members who are playing the same characters every week or not every week but every time they're in the show they'll be bringing back their characters so you will probably see a little bit of an arc with certain characters like someone might get bitten by a werewolf monster and then become one someone might yeah. become the queen of the underworld i don't know <laughs> yeah yeah so there'll be there'll be through lines mm -hmm. laced throughout and how big is the cast of performers that are be, that'll be doing this there's 11 of us and oh whoa uh-huh yeah 
So uh, this this is going to get posted today. So like if people go to our our uh, socials, which is like at Ripley Improv uh, on Twitter, at Ripley underscore Improv on Instagram, you'll see us probably like retweeting and sharing in the stories, like all the different characters that we have. That's awesome. So will you be presenting this, like even in just like the imagery or the promotional imagery, will it kind of be presented like RPGs where there's like illustrations of these characters? Mm -hmm. Is that something that's kind of done up front? Well, in terms of like what the show looks like, yes, it looks kind of like a TTRPG that you would see streaming on Twitch. So there's like an overlay. There's like our little boxes that we're all in on Zoom. Totally. Uh, And then as for like character art, Oh, God, I wish I had had the time and the budget to make that happen. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. But we do have, People... like, we. I, I hired my friend who does, like, little animated GIF doodle things. Yeah. So she made these animated character portraits. So it's, but it's, like, our characters in picture, like, a picture of us that she put yeah. onto this, like, animated portrait. So that's the closest we've gotcha. come to character art so far. But hopefully one day we'll we'll get someone to do yeah. that. Yeah. I, I'm notoriously kind of made fun of for um for commissioning art before anything else. <laughs> like if I'm if I'm working on a short a short or any video or film project, it's like right away I'm 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 commissioning concept art, poster art, mm-hmm. and my friends are like, Do you even have the money to make the thing yet? And I'm like, No. But I have to have an illustration to kind of like hang my hat on or put my target aim, you know, aim toward. Yeah. Um, what about what about the name Ripley? That's the improv team mm-hmm. name. Yeah. Is it an alien reference? It a hundred percent is an alien reference. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Is is that a favorite movie of yours or some other someone else on the team? Or where'd that name come from? Yeah. Like we all enjoy sci-fi and we all love that yeah. movie in particular. But we so when we formed in 2016, we we're a group of at first six seven seven women and now we're mm-hmm. uh how many of us 13 12 11 um uh but when we first started our we decided that we wanted to create stories that were about women who were like saving the day saving the world saving each other that's like our our mission statement and so we, yeah we thought about you know the characters and the roles that we get offered as actors and the ones that we play as improv ourselves, like as the writers in the moment, who do we write for ourselves? And we typically mm-hmm. write characters like Ripley, like people who are yeah. super uh, adept at what they do. They're smart. You should listen to them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you should probably follow what they're going to say because they're going to save your life. <laughs> right. Yes, very true. So what came first in your life, love for sci-fi and fantasy or love for writing and comedy? Or were they birthed at the same time? Yeah, I feel like for me it was sci-fi and fantasy. Yeah. Yeah, because like watching Star Trek as a kid and just loving space as a kid and NASA, that came first for me. I didn't know or think I was going to be a writer for a long time. Like, it Mm -hmm. took me... I. I wrote a thing with someone and won an award. And then I was like, oh, I guess I'm a writer. Like, it took me a long... What age was that? Oh, that that was when several was... years ago. <laughs> that was like as a full-on yeah, adult. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. but yeah, up until that point, even when I was writing, actively writing, I was like, oh, I'm an actor who writes. I'm an actor who just like, I just right. want to write the things that I want to see. But I'm not, I'm not going to like pursue a writing career. 
And I'm still kind yeah. of in this weird in-between where, to be honest, like I don't really have a super strong desire to be staffed on a show. I, yeah. I just want to like create projects. And, yeah. and so I've had to kind of come to terms, terms with that because I'm like, what am I doing? Like all my friends are getting staffed. Like I should probably be going in that direction. I could make money. I could have a career maybe. But like I right. just I don't really want that type of creative career. Yeah. I, I do want to create projects. I want to, you know, be on TV and create TV and be behind the scenes. But I think there's a different route for me for some reason. <laughs> yeah, I've been saying I've been in, in a similar space recently where I'm like, you know, I, I guess I always thought I'm an actor. I started off as an actor as a kid. I'm an actor and I'm going to audition for movies and TV and then get in one of them. And then that didn't really work. So I started writing and then mm -hmm. didn't want to stop acting. So I started acting in my own stuff. Right. And then I started directing the videos because nobody else would. Uh -huh. And and then I had to learn how to edit. But in, in the back of my mind, I was like, yeah, but I'm just doing this until I get on a show or get cast in something and can just be an actor. And then that just continued to never happen. <laughs> so then I like just was shaped into somebody that just creates their own content and shapes their own worlds and builds out little, yeah, I'm really into world building. Yeah. And I look back and I'm oh, like, yeah. I guess that's all I could have done. It, it still feels like it was done improvisationally because of other doors closing. Mm -hmm. But now I realize that's also kind of what I would have always just wanted to do yeah it's i don't know which came first the mm -hmm. lack of opportunity <laughs> or or my unction to to create on my own yeah. i guess it doesn't matter which one came first because i feel like i kind of found my my space yeah and it doesn't and, and it might not look like other people mm -hmm. i think that's something we all figure out like, yeah what what you ultimately want to do might not look like a lot of what other people want to do. Yo, it is so hard to turn off that voice in your head that's like, go get a job, go go be a writer, go do this. Like, yeah. And, and I have, yeah, I finally realized I was like, yeah, no, I, I don't want that. At least not right yeah. now. Like right now, yeah, I actually feel super creatively fulfilled. You know, that's good. Making my internet shows and doing improv yeah. and RPGs and GMing and auditioning still. And so yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's that's the most important thing is that is that you feel fulfilled. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think uh, I I over the summer or maybe at the top of the pandemic actually got a commercial agent and I ah. haven't had an agent or a manager since I was a child. Oh, wow. And I was like, yeah, I've wow. never been repped. Not since I was a kid. And Wait, I, didn't I got know a commercial. You were a, you were a child actor? Yeah, yeah, uh, but on the East Coast, like in Maryland and Virginia. Wait, are there yeah, are yeah. there like non-union Maryland commercials with you as a kid out there somewhere? Yeah. Oh my yeah. god. <laughs> oh <laughs> there's my god. there's there's proper like TV commercials like for local stuff, and then there's radio commercials. It like this is just it's gonna be me my this episode with my wonderful guest is gonna be me talking about my child <laughs> acting experience if if we're not careful. <laughs> Uh, so I'll rain, I'll rein myself in, but I, yeah, I was really well, I ask, good as a little so. kid. At, that's true. I was really good as a little kid with reading copy. Mm -hmm. I could read cold. And I think it's because my mother was really into English and grammar mm -hmm. and diction. And, but so I'd go into these auditions. I could do radio commercials without ever messing up. And the adults in the spot, wow. you know, needed five or six takes. What? Uh, but yeah, there's a horribly embarrassing local hair cuttery 
commercial, not for an actual hair cutter, but for a salon called like Kids Cuts. And it involves me like rapping as a little kid. I'm like, Kids Cuts, come and get your hair cut at Kids Cuts. And it's, <laughs> anyway, um, but yeah, but then uh, the, 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 the point of my weird story about getting a commercial agent was I was dropped after two months. Oh, two months. And yeah, I was like two months, three months, maybe. And I'd only gone out on two, you know, virtual auditions. One, I got a call back on and, mm. and I actually was like, this is tight. Maybe I could book a commercial and make money to make my weird short films and continue creating. And then it was like three months passed and they wrote me an email. It was like, we've actually decided that we can't do anything with you. Best of luck. And, and I was are like, you? here we are again, mm. back in where I where I always find myself just having to make my find my own way forward. Yeah. Mm. But it's hard to turn off that voice that's like, but don't I want to be mm-hmm. booking commercials or don't I want to be staffed on a show? That's what I'm told I need to do right. at this stage in my life or my career. Yeah. So how did you find this group of like minded individuals, 12 other people that like sci fi that want to improv? And uh, do the kind of shows that, that that you enjoy doing. How did you come across this group? Yeah, so um, we got together in 2016, and it was an original group of seven. And we all yeah. met at a place called Impro Theater, mm-hmm. which does narrative improv. And they they mostly focus on like classics. So they do like improvised Shakespeare, improvised Jane Austen, and improvised Tennessee Williams and Ripley. Like we. We all, you know, take took classes there and worked there even and uh, taught there. And we decided to band together and start doing an all-ladies uh, group that does narrative improv. Yeah. Um, and But one thing for me is, like, you know, studying the classics is, of course, as an actor, like, kind of required. Or not required, but, right. like, it's pretty typical as an actor to, like, be very well-versed in things like Shakespeare and stuff. Um, but when it came to, like, they, they do a lot of genres that are in the 50s and 60s and even 40s like noir and stuff and it was cool and I was glad to study that but I also just felt like it's hard for me as a black woman to place myself sometimes in those genres where like you look at the source material and the only black person is like playing piano or cleaning the kitchen yeah so it's like it just after a while it just took a lot out of me to always have to like translate my experience into the genres they were doing. Yeah. And then, so when we created Ripley, it felt like kind of a refuge where I could do genre work, it narrative improv, and not only like evolve our own style, you know, based on the, the foundational work that we did at Impro, but also like do genres that we chose. Yeah. And so, um, and so it started as me and six of my lady friends from this theater and I told them early on, I was like, uh, if y'all ever want to do like an old timey white people genre, I'm not going to do that show. <laughs> it's yeah. cool. Like you could do it, but I'm never right. going to do it. And they were, and since then, they've never been like, hey, we're going to do this old timey white genre. Peace out. Yeah. So like they, they've chosen to like keep me in the group by helping me to like be the artist that I fully can be. That's so, wonderful. That's why I have stayed with Ripley Improv, by the way, like, you know, because, you, yeah, you said, like, you know, improv groups that last a long time are kind of rare. For sure. And yeah. But, like, we we have developed a rep, a rapport with each other, but also a respect and a friendship. And they, they have stood up for me in ways that I really appreciate. And I've also had to educate them on a lot of stuff, too. You know, yeah. six white women and me in the beginning. Yeah. So I've had to, they've, like, I've had to teach them a lot of stuff. I've had to call them out on a lot of stuff. They've called themselves out on a lot of stuff. Yeah. But they they are 
they're incredible allies. And so that's when, so now you, you were asking like how the group grew, yeah. grew to about 13 people. A couple of years ago, I think it was, what is this? Yeah, I think it was like 2019. Um, we went on a retreat. It was the original seven of us. And I had been feeling a kind of way for a while, but never really sharing this with them. But um, I told them during the ret retreat, I was like, listen, y'all, I love you all. I love working with this group, but I cannot and I will not be the only woman of color in this group anymore. Mm -hmm. We need to add more members like as soon as possible. Yeah. In a, in a, you know, in a, in a way that makes sense for our group and for the people, for the new members we'll have. But I, I basically kind of like put my foot down because it had been something that we had been talking about off and on in, in different ways over the past, like probably few years of the group. Yeah. But, but no one was, there was no urgency. Right. And so I kind of gave them a sort of ultimatum and I said, uh, this is it for me. Like, I, I didn't really, I didn't call it an ultimatum. I, I wasn't threatening to leave the group. That's not really what I meant. But I did mean, like, I'm staying in the group. And also, we're bringing in more women of color. That totally. was, like, my intention. Yeah. And so they took it seriously. And so we took about a year and a half um, to just build a process of how to add new members to also, like, you know, they did a lot of work on their own, you know, like, you know, they learned, you know, the language of white supremacy and what that is and, yeah. you know, inclusion. And we all like uh, got better about learning about disability and mm -hmm. uh, LGBTQ and just like how, how how can we make ourselves a welcoming place for all types of women to join yeah. us? And then the past like six, seven months, we started inviting lots more of our friends and other artists that were told, you know, referred to us. We just started playing with people and seeing who clicked, who jived, like who liked being around us, who um, who did we play well with, who challenged mm -hmm. us, who pushed us to do better. And based on that, we invited about, uh, I think we invited like six or seven people and we added five members of those. That's awesome. Yeah. It's, so, it's so improvising together. It's, uh, it's, for those that are listening that have never been in an improv group, it's so delicate to find the right collaborators it's it requires mm -hmm. so much trust and yeah. uh and even you know kind of just a learned learned patterns amongst each other that really don't emerge for a number of shows uh -huh. it's 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 a lot to have added uh that many members and i'm glad you did and i bet it was a process to mm -hmm. actually find the performers that would work would work yeah. well within that group yeah we wanted to like add people who would make us better so yeah. it was i was really keen on being like let, let's not add the people who make us feel good like we're perfect let's add people who yeah. uh, kind of like are I, I wanted spitfires in the group like you know what i mean like yeah. people who can work well and collaborate and be am amiable amicable whatever that word is yeah but but i didn't One want people who are just gonna like kiss our asses because they know that we're a semi-popular improv group that they wanted to be a part of i wanted people right. who could like be you know just be on our level and challenge us and be our peers yeah so so yeah we found those people and there were a lot more people who we could have invited by the way mm -hmm. that we just were like we can't you know <laughs> like oh you know add 20 people at this point right but yeah i was going to ask but then i kind of caught myself in my head so I think I'll ask the question in a weird backwards way. What I was going to ask was, does it feel like 
sci-fi and fantasy have always been more inclusive and more representative of many different people groups than other subgenres. And I guess that is the question. But coupled with that, I just remembered all of those recent articles about even D&D and like Magic the Gathering <laughs> retiring certain problematic character types and tropes and mm -hmm. I mean even offensive terminology what's been your experience with that do you feel like sci-fi fantasy is because I'm a big horror nut I'm a huge horror mm -hmm. fan and sometimes horror is complimented at, at being inclusive and, and for mm -hmm. representing themes that weren't appearing in a lot, lot of other genres but it's also there's been a lot of wrong-minded horror yeah. films and a lot of misogyny pervading the slasher subgenre mm -hmm. and, and also like not great stuff with like mental health and disability oh my gosh and things like that yeah we actually did a, a, on another podcast i used to host we had an episode about disability representation in horror and mm. it's astounding stuff that you know growing up i never picked up on that in hindsight mm -hmm. was was so prevalent so yeah, so I know that my the genre that I love is still very flawed, um, and it's a mm -hmm. kind of constantly fluid relationship with with it. What is your relationship like with sci-fi fantasy? Yeah, in, in regard to that aspect. Oh my goodness, same and complex. Yeah, and so first of all, like in general, for both sci-fi and fantasy, absolutely, um, there are issues in both, and for different reasons. But then if you break them apart, like with fantasy and sci-fi, really, like a lot of what we see and even make today is still rooted in this like, like post-World War II, you know, it has this like white male gaze still. The way right. that we think of sci-fi, the way that we created sci-fi was kind of like through that dominant voice, the white male voice. Yeah. And so, and for me, like as someone who also was raised on that type of sci-fi through that lens... I I've been doing a lot of work for myself the past several years trying to like uncover what my true deepest voice is in sci-fi and fantasy. Yeah. Uh, because I was raised with those tropes too, you know? Right. Um, so undoing that training of like centering those tropes is hard and it's long, hard work, but it's, yeah. it's really fun and interesting. Yeah. Um, but sci-fi in particular Yes, it has been better about about like uh, showing like a more inclusive, uh, a better representation of, of more people. But then you have things like Firefly that, you know, amazing, brilliant concept. But it basically says like, oh, China and the U.S. were superpowers. And then it doesn't cast any Asian Americans as series regulars in the show. Right. They have characters speaking Mandarin. And no Asian Americans are represented in the re series regular cast of that show. Right, like yeah. that's messed up. That's messed up. Like I know, which is <laughs> I, which is weird because at the time it would have been considered kind of forward thinking, and mm -hmm. you know, and is seemingly exactly. at yeah. the time seemingly was coming from a progressively minded. Creator. And it was. Oh no, yeah. it's not. But it's not even seemingly. It was right. That's, that's right. The thing. Progressive doesn't mean correct progressive doesn't right. mean it doesn't mean like progressives don't always get it right we know that yeah but yeah like, but it's also you know at the time of course there's 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 so only so much that we were holding people accountable for and now yeah. we're holding people accountable for more stuff so yeah. now that type of show would not would not fly like they would have yeah. to correct that <laughs> totally um, totally yeah yeah 
Well, walk us through uh, kind of the structure of what an episode of Slay is going to look like. Like, what's the, what's, I know the format of a Herald and, and of some other like long form, um, like mono scene improv structures. But what will the structure be like? What can people expect if they tune in? Like, okay. how is, how is the inspiration sourced? You know, mm-hmm. how is the space kind of shared by the performers, et cetera? Yeah. So, okay. From, from like top to end, here's pretty much what's, what people will see. Um, so, before the show starts in the chat in Twitch, we're going to get a suggestion from the audience. Uh-huh. Um, someone is going to pick one and send it to me or whoever is the quote, quote unquote GM of the night, which is really, yeah. we call that role the profiler. Um, so whoever's the profile will get the suggestion from our stage manager and then we'll start the show and it's going to like, actually, I don't want to like spoil the yeah, reveal totally. of what the show looks like, but I will tell you, um, you're going to see about six per night, six of our cast members, about half the cast each night. Um, we're going to basically be doing like a round robin of monologues. Okay. And the the whole like concept of this show and the world of the show is that we all work for this secret government agency called DORM, the Department of Occult Risk Management. Nice. Which which has an Instagram and a TikTok and a Twitter. Oh, perfect. Nice. <laughs> which I know doesn't really make sense for a secretive government agency to be on TikTok. And <laughs> well, who knows? In 2021, <laughs> it might make sense. Everybody's got a social media department nowadays. I mean, yeah, they're secretive, but they do have a TikTok. You know what yeah. I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, so like the world, that's the world of the show. Yeah. And so what you're seeing every every week is... The profiler sitting down in front of her webcam and starting to do the work of piecing together what this monster looks like, acts like, um, you know, does it talk? Is it corporeal? Getting all the details so that we could build a complete picture of a monster at the end of the story. Yeah. Um, And so the profiler, the conceit of the show is that she's on webcam, but everyone else is like an archival report. Like they've they've done like their video report of what they did in the field tracking down this monster and hunting it. And so, the you know, we're all live, of course, streaming this. We all yeah. hear each other and see each other. Nothing's recorded, but we're pretending like the agent characters are are doing their, like, uh, reports back to, back to their it. supervisor. Got it. So I'll be, like, clicking, quote-unquote, quote clicking through different people's videos and saying, oh, wow, okay, so uh, this character said that she smelled roses when she was at the crime scene. You know, we have a, this one's a botanist, so let me see what this agent has to say. And then we click over to her and she starts monologuing as if it's recorded, quote unquote. Yeah. And are the characters given definition? Is it like an RPG where you've like, the performers have fleshed out these characters so they know I am a botanist. This is my experience. Or is Mm -hmm. that kind of created within the first episode that we would watch? No, yeah. They are coming in with like a short bio and background of their character. Yeah. Okay. So they know where their character starts off. But I told them, I was like, I don't, you know, definitely like pick, figure out like the bones of your character, but don't flesh them out too much because then we can build and, you know, find them in the improv. Yeah. Well, that sounds awesome. Uh, (laughs) We're not done talking to you, but, but where can people watch this and when, just so we get that information out before I move on to talk about some other kind of spooky stuff. Yeah, so the show is going to be at twitch.tv slash Ripley Improv. 
And our show dates are Fridays in May and June. And we're going to be opening May 7th, 6 p.m. Pacific time, 9 p.m. Eastern time. Perfect. And then where can people find it on social media? Yeah, we're at Ripley Improv on Twitter, at Ripley underscore improv on Instagram. And then if you want to follow a weird secret government agency (laughs) account, uh, it's called at Occult Risk MGMT. Perfect. At Occult Risk MGMT on Twitter, Facebook, and no, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Well, I have to ask, since this is the untold hour, do you personally have any belief in the paranormal or the occult, whether it be like cryptozoology? Is there a cryptid that you're a fan of? I'm a big goat man guy, a big moth man mm. guy. Oh, uh, my God. Yeah. Did you grow up anywhere where there was a specific urban legend? Oh, what's yeah. your What's your take on paranormal and cryptozoology? Any specific interests? Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> hell yeah. So I grew up in New Jersey. And as you may know, Jersey Devil, Jersey Devil, exactly. Also kind of a goat man type. Uh huh. We also had the Blair Witch Project that was out of Jersey, I think. Right. Yeah, that was Blair Jersey. Technically story. Yeah. Yeah. I think that because I know that in in the film, it was Burkittsville, Maryland. But I think they did Mm -hmm. pull from like uh, urban legends from Jersey, basically all on the eastern shore. Yeah. Yeah, A bunch of different urban legends. Yes. So I, I definitely grew up having those stories floating around. There was also the Chupacabra story back yeah. in. Yeah. Like, I don't know if you you're so you're from Maryland. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if it was because of like my my like where I was living. We have like black and Caribbean and Latinos. Yeah. But we definitely like I knew about the Chupacabra and I was super into the Chupacabra stories. Yeah. Like there was I think there was even like an infamous. I feel like one of the sightings of a Chupacabra was was. Long Island, maybe so not Jersey, oh, but New York. Mm-hmm. I just or I remember there being reports of like a weird, and everybody thinks it was just like a raccoon, like a dead raccoon. But and I, mm. I want to say it was in like Montauk, but anyway, oh my which God. I think well, is upstate New York. I don't know. I just remember like a lot hearing a lot of the stories about it in Texas and like Arizona and yeah. Mexico, Mexico, and just being like, "What is this? This is so cool!" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love uh, the chupacabra. Right? So yeah. cool. <laughs> what about supernatural stuff? Ghosts. Do you believe in ghosts? Do you believe in yeah. ghosts and aliens? I'm more of a... Well, Jess is a ghost person, but Jess is mm-hmm. way into aliens. And I have to admit, I I almost have no interest in aliens. Oh, I, interesting. I, it's just Ooh, for yeah. some reason. But mm-hmm. what about you? Ghosts, aliens, both? One or the other? I am... Okay. I am a bit of a scully but like a hippie scully uh-huh. because like i do think i do believe in ghosts but i don't think they're what we think they are okay my theory about ghosts is that our bodies like chemically can just be attuned to certain frequencies sometimes yeah and i don't think it's like an outside in thing i don't think it's like oh you see a ghost and then your senses pick it up. I think we right. kind of create the ghost, but it's very, that doesn't mean I don't think it's real. I actually think it is very real, but yeah. I think it emanates from whatever, whatever is happening with our like bodies and minds and chemicals at that time. Does that gotcha. make any sense at all? I mean, I think so. I think I'm tracking what you're saying. Everybody, it's interesting when we talk to people about ghosts, because everybody does kind of have their own take. I look like I'm in like a ghost 
hunt right now I love on, it. on Zoom because <laughs> the sun went down while we were on this call. So the only light is from my laptop screen and it looks How like I'm get, about to. It got so drastically dark. Though. I know. I know. It was so bright. And then within like 20 minutes, it's pitch black outside. Um, everybody kind of has, yeah, uh, their different interpretation of, of ghosts. Uh, and I tend to lean toward a really simple, old-fashioned, like, I think ghosts are walking around, knocking shit over. I think they're, like, <laughs> poltergeist-style. Uh, but I get the, like, frequency idea that it's just something kind of we're attuned to. Maybe they're in another dimension, or maybe mm -hmm. it's a time loop that's just yeah, carved out a path. Yeah, sometimes we shift to that level rather right. than it coming to us. Right. That, I think that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Totally, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The reason why I say that, though, is because I had an experience as a kid where actually I had a few experiences as a kid that I might have oh, been wow. seeing some some spirits. Um, wow. One of them was kind of a scary spirit. Uh, I imagined that there was a little man in my closet, and oh wow! And I also would see like cats, like ghost cats. We've talked about ghost kid. cats on this podcast. Oh my gosh! What what do you think brought these about? Was it you imagined the thing in the closet or? you saw it was it like kind of a shadow person like when you wake up from a nightmare and there's something still lingering man i was like really little i was maybe like seven years old and i remember i should ask my mom what she remembers about this because i told her i was like there's a man in my closet and she was like excuse oh, wow. me what? oh my goodness she freaked out but then she was like she looked and there was no one in there and she was like what do you mean you saw a man in the closet i was like wow. he was little he was wearing a brown suit and a green tie and beep, 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 and i can still see him now wow it's just like a little a little man did he but have a hat? Like, yeah, he had a little hat. <laughs> people people um, often talk about the the um bowler hat man. Uh, what? The, Wait, what? Yeah, like a you know what a bowler hat is? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was gonna look up an image of it, but if you know what I mean. Uh and I actually had a friend who's who who had always seen and it was in a green suit, I think. Not a brown oh. suit, but they would uh -huh. always see this bowler hat man. It would be like right now I can look out onto my street and it would be like they could look out and they'd see the bowler hat man for a moment and then he'd be gone. And my friend never told anyone, but then in her like mid 20s told her sister and her sister was like, I've always seen what? the bowler hat man. What? Yeah. And I've actually been trying to get her to come on this podcast forever and she's she's not been down. Um, it's just something her and her sister talk about, but they both... Wow have seen these manifestations of a bowler hat man okay and he I was got... in a suit and tie with a little bowler hat uh-huh yeah, yeah i gotta i gotta google this that's really interesting yeah well, well, what about the cats what kind of experience mm -hmm. did you see seeing like ghost cats i don't remember specific ones but i do remember at least a couple of times just yeah just seeing some ghost cats and it wasn't i think that was more like i had the feeling of cats i also was obsessed yeah. with cats as a little kid really yeah i i loved cats so much as a little tiny kid and yeah. so i think i was just really tuned into their energy and so i would just see them sometimes yeah. and i would like pretend or maybe it wasn't pretend maybe they were actually like ghost cats yeah do you, were, do you think they were the spirits of pets you had had or no these were just mm -mm. entities on their own they weren't related yeah. to an animal that you had had as a pet well not me because i never yeah. had pets i never had like gotcha. those types of pets we had like tank animals like fish and uh frogs like swimming frogs totally yeah so it wasn't it wasn't our pets but maybe it was someone like someone else's pet that lived in that house yeah. before i lived in an old house like you know, growing up. Yeah. Um, but, oh, I wanted to tell you, too, 
the big one though was when I was 13 and my grandmother died and I saw her. After oh, she wow. And was it a comforting experience? Mm -hmm. It was very, yeah. it was okay. I can tell you exactly. I remember it so clearly. Um, so I'm from Newark, New Jersey, and I have mm -hmm. uh, a lot of cousins nearby in Newark in East Orange, New Jersey, like mm -hmm. a couple towns over. And so when we had the funeral for her, we went back to a cousin's, like an aunt's house in East Orange. And I remember I was walking down the driveway and it was like dusk. It was like 6, 7 p.m. The sun was setting. And um, I look over into the basement of my aunt or cousin's house. I forget like whose house it was exactly. But I, there's a rack of clothing down there and the, there was a light on in the basement. So the, the clothing was lit. And I saw my grandmother like in the rack of clothing. Like, wow. Yeah, just like standing there as if... Um, as if like her shoulder was like in the clothes, like, you know what yeah. I mean? Like standing like half out of the rack. And she, she was looking right at me. She smiled at me and it was very comforting. Wow. For a half a second, I was like, huh, what? But then yeah. it was all comfort and warmth. And it just was like, I'm okay. I'm all right. Don't worry about me. That was, that and was this, that was the feeling or did she actually speak? She didn't speak. Yeah. No, but it was that like was the this... feeling that I got. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And then when did it, dissipate or when did you know when like did you blink and then you didn't see her anymore how did it end i just i think she was there for that moment and then i felt and saw her smile and then she was a rack of clothing again right it was very wow. very quick but it was so clear and so yeah it was just like viscerally real to me wow that's amazing yeah we've had a few people on the show talk about instances where after a loved one passed they they had a, a glimpse of them like that. And mm -hmm. it was almost always bringing about some sort of closure, whether mm -hmm. or not anything, anything was spoken or not. That's really powerful. Wow. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for being on our show. <laughs> I, I I feel like we covered a lot of good ground. And, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and best of luck with your new show. And uh, and I'm you. gonna make sure to check it out. I've only recently started a Twitch account, and I'll oh, I'll nice. I'll check it out. I'll actually get on Twitch. I've been watching yeah. Twitch shows. Get on Twitch, uh, everybody! I, exactly, yeah. exactly. And then, if you want people, where can they find you on social media? I am at Elisa Pearl on Twitter and Instagram, and the real Elisa Pearl on TikTok. Awesome, awesome. And oh, I'm on Twitch too. At uh, I'm. Apiza Liza, A P I Z A L I Z A. And I sometimes stream and sometimes don't stream. Gotcha. Awesome. Well, thank you again for your time. This is a great conversation. It was good to see you again. Good to see you too. Thanks for having me. Awesome. <laughs> Untoldians, that is it for this episode of The Untold Hour. Thank you for joining us on this weird and wild ride into the bazaar. If you are interested in sharing your own story of the weird, send us your listener stories to theuntoldhourpod at gmail.com. Come join the Untold Hour Convo over on my Discord server and our Facebook group. And you can follow us on our socials, Instagram at the Untold Hour and at Untold Hour Pod on Twitter. Starbands Avenue, a, pod <clears throat> a podcast network.